So we're up to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this is one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. It's uh, David and Goliath, and uh, we're gonna, it's a very, very interesting story and to me personally. My, I remember as a young child, my mom would sit on the, uh, the swing outside with us, and she was reading to us this story. So it's got really some real deep uh, personal memories from that. I just thank the Lord. He was working on me back then, <laughs> preparing me for the future. So I hope this is a really special story to you as well. And it is one of those passages you feel like you just can't do it justice. So uh, pray and continue to just uh, take in as many messages as you can on this passage. It's really amazing what the Lord has buried in this, okay? So let's jump into 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. And they were gathered at Sokol, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokol and Azekah and Ephes Demim. And we saw back in chapter 14, it said that all the days of King Saul, there was fierce war with the Philistines. So this is just another battle, okay, that there was a constant thing going on. And here we see that the Philistines, they were getting ready to fight Israel again, but this time we're told they've come into the land that belongs to Israel, and specifically, it's the land that belongs to the tribe of Judah. So they're pretty bold to show up in the land of Israel, and we'll see why they were so bold in a minute there. But uh, look at verse 2, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, so it's King Saul and his men, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So both of these armies were gathered against each other, but neither side wanted to jump into battle. I mean, they both have high ground at this point. So it's kind of like, you come first, and then we're going to have the high ground on you, but nobody's taking a step forward. So it's a standoff. They're just here, okay? But they're ready to fight, but they're just here. So verse 4 says, And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. So he was nine feet and nine inches tall. And if you know, if you look up at a basketball rim in a school gymnasium, his head would have been about just three inches below the rim, just to kind of get a concept of how tall we're, we're, we're looking at this. It's like, wow, big guy. Uh, and the word champion there means that he was sent out as a representative for the whole army. He was ready to fight for the whole group. Okay, so kind of funny here. Verse 5. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So his, his coat that he was wearing, this kind of metal uh, covering he had on him, weighed 125 pounds. And that's, just, that's not the rest of his stuff he had on. That's just the coat he had on his chest and back there, you know. So verse 6, he had uh, bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. So he had that kind of strapped to his back. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And uh, that's 17 pounds. So if you can imagine, this is his javelin, his spear he's got here. Uh, somebody was saying, if you could... 
picture this, you take a 17 pound turkey and put it on the top of your spear and then try to throw it. That's the weight of this thing he had, okay? This guy was amazingly strong. And then it says he had a shield bearer who went before him. And I don't know what that guy was doing other than trying not to get stepped on maybe. Uh, Verse eight, then he stood and he cried out to the armies of Israel and he said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And he's taunting them. You know, he says, I'm the enemy, and I? Why are you guys just standing there? And he says, and you, you're the servants of Saul. So it's kind of like, I'm a soldier, but you guys, you're just a bunch of servants. It says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. So notice this deal he's making. We're gonna take a look at this again later, but he says, but if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. So he's making the rules here. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I wish I could get one of those really deep, grovelly voices and say that, because I think that's probably how it came barreling out of his, his mouth, you know. So he's, he's defying the armies of Israel. It means he's daring them to do something. You know, he's saying, what are you doing standing there? Come on. And it's kind of an insult, too, when he says, give me a man. It's like you don't have one man that can stand up. You know, and that's, he's just really in their face with this. So he's really getting on them. This is psychological warfare. You know, it's not a new thing. We hear about this stuff going on today. It's, it's been around a long time. And he even mocked Israel, you know, by saying, don't you even have one man that can come here? Yeah, so he's basically saying, you find this one guy and tell him to put his big boy pants on and you send him over here, okay? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's really in their face. And you think about this. Our enemy, the devil, he tries to imitate us too intimidate us. And there are times, you know, where he's going to send people to mock us. Where do you think these people come from? That's the enemy who's trying to get us to back off too, just like Goliath was doing here. So don't fall for that. This is a great, great story for teaching us. We don't have to back down. When the enemy sends his guys to try to get us to keep quiet, be tolerant, or whatever other term he comes up with to get us to stop talking about the Lord, we don't have to pay any attention to that at all. We need to listen to the Lord. So verse 11, it says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So it's basically saying they were shaken in their boots and they were done. They didn't have any desire to go get anywhere close to this guy. So they wouldn't even even think about that. So verse 12, now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone out to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, so he's the oldest. Next to him, Aminadab. And the third, Shammah. Says David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and return from Saul, and look why he returned, to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. <clears throat> so one thing we notice about David here, he was a faithful shepherd, you know? 
He's going to go and see how his brother's doing everything else, but he's got to get back to those sheep because that's his job. That's his responsibility. And he's going to leave all that excitement and everything going on in the battle or in, in those guys, with those guys and King Saul. And he's going to go back and do what he's supposed to be doing. Okay? Now, we're going to see here quite a few pictures of Jesus in our passage today, and David is the one who shows them to us because Jesus is our faithful shepherd, and he takes his job seriously as well. So this is what we see, we're going to see in David. You know, he's, he's quite a guy. And uh, the Lord uses him to show us, this is what a man of my, after my own heart looks like. So we need to do what God's called us to do too. We might have to leave the excitement once in a while to do that. Just go back and do what God told you to do. Verse 16, and the Philistine drew near and he presented himself 40 days. That's a long time. And no, the number 40 turns out to be the time of testing a lot of times in Scripture. So there's a testing going on here. <laughs> I think it's on, on Israel. And uh, they're not passing the test too well. They had 40 days to do something about this, and it's not happening. So it says in verse 16 again, the Philistine drew near. He presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. So Goliath would come in the morning and he'd, he'd shout his, his words, and then he'd come back in the evening before the troops went to bed. You know, and he would jeer at them saying, I defy the armies of Israel. <laughs> you know, the soldiers probably didn't rest too well after hearing that again, just before going to sleep. So it's a, it's a cruel thing that was taking place here. And you know what? That's just like our enemy. Did you notice that sometimes he'll show up in the morning? You know, usually get to you before you start your devotions, and then he'll show back up when you're ready for bed, putting thoughts in your head to mess with you and hopefully to distract you, you know, and from that standpoint, kind of rob you of a good night's sleep. Anybody ever had that happen? Yeah, our enemies does that stuff. So the devil's a whole lot like Goliath. You can get some pictures there too. He just wants to ruin your day and ruin your night if he can. You know, I suggest starting your day and ending your day by getting into the Word of God. You know, cut your enemy off at the pass by putting the truth of the word of God in your mind, both when you start your day and when you end your day. And that really messes up the enemy's plans he has for you. So let's jump into verse 17. <clears throat> then Jesse said to his son David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp. So he knows the son's in real good shape here, <laughs> saying, get over there. And he said, and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousands. So even taking some food uh, to their, their captain here. And he says, and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. And it's interesting. He says, I want you to go and, and see how your brothers are doing. And normally when, the, when they would go to war like this, they would live off of the land. I mean, these guys were able to do that stuff, and especially if they were conquering people, they'd have whatever they found there for food and be able to, to do just fine. But they'd been sitting in one place for 40 days, so they may have exhausted the land that was there, and it helps to have the family bring some food to help you make it through. So uh, good old Jesse is going to take care of his boys, and he's going to send some, some food there to help them out. Also, he wants to have his captain in good shape, too, to think well of his sons, maybe keep an extra eye out for the boys. So he's going to make sure he's fed as well. Uh, verse 19. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And 
it's not really that there was a fight going on as we see in the context, but apparently they were showing up every morning and kind of taunting each other and shouting at each other, and I guess trying to provoke somebody to come across the valley and, and get things started here. So this is what, what the, the Lord shows us, the context of what's going on. Verse 20, so David rose early in the morning. He's got this job to do. He's going to get up early. He left the sheep with the keeper. Notice, interesting, the Lord tells us that. He didn't forsake the sheep. He made sure somebody's going to take care of these sheep while I'm off doing what dad told me to do. Very interesting. He took the things and he went as Jesse had commanded him. Obedient, very obedient young man. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and uh, to the fight and shouting for the battle. So again, they're just kind of taunting each other here and and not really going to fight today. Verse 21, for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. So there's a guy there would be in charge of making sure the troops got their food. So he dropped it off and said, this is for my brothers and stuff. And look what he says. He ran to the army. So he is, he's the kind of guy that runs to things, okay? And it says he, he came and he greeted his brothers. Now try to picture this, what's going on, because if you can... Keep the picture in your mind of what's happening. I think it makes it very interesting. So he finds his brothers, all right, which is what he's supposed to do and going to talk to them and see what's going on. So it says he greeted his brothers, and then in verse 23, then as he talked with them. So there's a conversation going on, right? Apparently when you're talking, there's talk going both ways. It says there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So he's saying, I'm defying the people of Israel. You know, I'm coming against you guys. And his same groveling shout that he had before. And it says, so David heard them. And you think about this. What did David hear? He didn't hear their army. He heard the words that came out of this guy's mouth. This is very, very interesting. Because something's starting to stir inside of David. In verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Now, look at this. (laughs) David hears something here. He's paying attention to what was said, and he's getting upset. These guys are looking at something, and they're getting scared. Boy, that's something for us, isn't it? We need to pay attention to what the Lord says and not worry about what we see around us. But these guys were scared by what they were seeing. And it makes sense. This is a scary picture, but David's not afraid. Like what somebody said, I was listening to a guy, he said, uh, when David heard this, he was getting ticked. And he said, that's a Hebrew word. It means he was getting really upset. (laughs) So they're getting scared, but he's getting mad. (laughs) Yeah, so it's cool to watch David's reaction here. It says in verse 25, so the men of Israel said, have you seen this man coming up? Trying to turn David's attention to what they're seeing that's scaring them. David isn't interested in what he is seeing. He's interested in what he has heard. He says, have, they said, have you seen the man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. And somebody said, 
You know, those are all great things, but when you come down to the tax issue, it's like, now we're talking, you know? Exemption from taxes, that must have sounded good back then too. But uh, verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, and here's what he said. What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? But that's not what he's focusing on, because look where he goes, because he just heard what's going to happen. It's really not his point. He wants them to think this through by what he's saying. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? He is saying, what's going to happen to the guy that takes the shame away from us listening to this guy say this and not doing anything about it? That's what he wants them to hear. And he says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God. And you gotta think about what David is saying here. He called him an uncircumcised Philistine. Remember, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. He said, this guy doesn't have any covenant with God. He doesn't have anything going on with God. So why are you putting up with this? And he said, who does this guy think he is? He's defying the armies. And notice what he said, of the living God. It's like these guys are all worshiping idols, and they're all dead idols. They're false. There's no truth there. We serve a God who is alive. Why are you putting up with this? Wow. Yeah, in verse 27, the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. (laughs) It's like, you missed my point, guys. I heard you the first time. I don't care what's going to happen. To, to the guy who does this. I want to know who's going to stop the guy from blaspheming our God and shaming God's people. That's what he wants to know. And you know, what you think about this. King Saul was trying to entice somebody by giving him all these things, you know, and oh, sure, great riches sound good, and his daughter's wife sounds okay, you know, depends what that was like, you know. But, but the tax deal, that may say, oh, that's, that's pretty good too, I like that. But you know what? We don't need the things of the world. We don't need them. <laughs> we gotta walk with a living God. Why do we need the junk from the world? This stuff's passing away, right? I mean, the way things we see in the world, everything could be gone tomorrow, <laughs> right? But the things we have with God are eternal. They go on forever. So don't be distracted by the stuff in this world. Didn't mean a thing to David. He didn't care. He wanted to stop what was going on, stop the enemy. And that's, that's something for us to consider, too, uh, to stop what the enemy's doing. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So he heard this little brother standing up here and saying this stuff. And Eliab's anger was aroused against Goliath. doesn't say that, does it? His anger was aroused against David. Real tough guy. You're not going to take on the enemy, but you pick on your little brother. No wonder God didn't choose him uh, to be the king of Israel. He said, why did you come here? (laughs) Now, think about this question. I mean, we can hear a little sibling rivalry going on here, right? As he's saying, why did you come here? But I told you that we get a lot of pictures of Jesus when we see David. There were people that were basically asking Jesus, why did you come here? You know, they didn't realize, I came to rescue you. Just like David, he came to rescue these guys. (laughs) Yeah, you know, people insult the Lord so many times, and God's so gracious. 
so gracious. So his brother says, why did you come here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? It's like, why aren't you doing your job? Get back home and watch those little sheep. That's all you can handle anyway. Do us go home. <laughs> he says, I know your pride. <laughs> Who's the prideful guy talking here, right? It's like, get the mirror out. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart. So he doesn't know David at all. I mean, we, we get to know David very well in the scriptures, right, through the Psalms and everything. He doesn't even know his little brother. He says, he's the guy. We get out of the way, put him out there with the sheep. We don't worry about him. <laughs> he says, I know the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. That's the only reason you're here. You wanted to watch this massacre go on. And, you know, David could have said, what battle? <laughs> you know, the same thing happening. What's up, brother? <laughs> you know? But David was very kind. He didn't do that. But look at what David said in verse 29. What have I done now? <laughs> Can you imagine? Poor David must have got picked on a bunch by the, the brothers. And it's like, what did I do now? I mean, seriously, what did David do? All he did was come and he's talking. That's it. You know? Wow. So he says, what have I done now? And then he says, one of the most important statements in the entire passage, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? You know, he's like, what are you guys doing? You know, there's some very important causes for which the church, the body of Christ, needs to stand up for. There are some things that dare we just turn our head and act like it's not happening. Abortion is one of those. Is there not a cause? Marriage, is there not a cause? What is true marriage? Dare we let that true definition escape our society? Some things we need to stand for. But the most important one of all is the gospel. You know, how can we keep silent when every person that you and I see is going to answer to God and they're going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell? You know, I know we don't like to think about people going to hell. That, that bothers us. It's like it bothers other people. But that's the reality, you know? Do you know that supposedly... Only 10% of the world's population is said to be Christian. Only 10%. And I think that figure is probably inflated. I think they shove a lot of groups in there that aren't really Christian. So get this, then. Just taking that 10%, that means one out of every 10 people are going to heaven. But nine out of those 10 are going into eternity in the lake of fire. Okay? And I, I want you to do this if you think about this today. I want you to count the first 10 people that you see after you leave church today and imagine that only one of them is going to heaven. Which one would it be? But nine of those people, they're going to go to hell. They're going to be thrown in the lake of fire for all eternity. Is there not a cause to tell people about Jesus? Verse 30 goes on. And then he turned from him toward another. <laughs> so David just got blasted by his one brother. And then he turns toward another one and he says the same thing. So they're really, <laughs> it says they answered him as the first ones did. He said, guys, why aren't you doing something about this? And they're saying, oh, brother, you need to get back to the sheep. They're telling him the same thing, okay? So verse 31 here, now when the words which David spoke were heard, because apparently he said it enough times that other people heard it, not just the brothers. They reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. 
Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. <laughs> I like what somebody said. Here's David showing up with a big S on his shirt and his cape's flying in the background. There's not a problem here, guys. I'm here. Yeah. Because that's basically what he's saying. Don't let anybody's heart fail because of these words. Don't let that happen. Your servant, I'll go fight him. If nobody else wants to go, I'll fight him. You know? Wow, amazing. Verse 33, and Saul said to David, <laughs> you will get a man. No, he didn't. He said, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him. For you were a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. He's saying he's an experienced warrior. You obviously can't have that kind of experience. You're just a young guy. So know this. It's normal for someone to come up against you when you're standing up for the things of the Lord. So just expect that. You know, the devil's going to send somebody to try and discourage you. He doesn't want, you know, somebody to stand up for the Lord, but that's a threat to his kingdom. The devil doesn't want to lose anybody, right? He wants to take down as many as he can. So don't be surprised when the enemy sends a discourager your way. What may surprise you, though, is the one the devil's going to send. <laughs> you know, you got to remember, the devil doesn't play fair. He's a dirty fighter, and he will stoop very low. You know, I was thinking about Jesus talking to the disciples about his upcoming death and resurrection, that, that verse that I read this morning, that passage, as we open. And who did the devil send to be a discourager? None other than Peter. One of the closest people to Jesus, standing right there, you know? So be ready if and when that happens to you. But don't forget, you know, this, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers of darkness, right? Jesus didn't turn Peter away and never speak to him again, did he? No. He had to rebuke Peter, but Jesus knew it wasn't Peter that was a problem. That's why he said, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. So don't be shocked. The enemy may send somebody and their job is to discourage you. They may not, need, not even know why they were sent there or why where that thought came from, but they're working for the enemy. They just don't know it. So don't get mad at them. You know, pray for them and uh, rebuke the enemy. <laughs> Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant, notice how David keeps referring to himself. He's not saying, I am a mighty man of war, you know. He says, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and I struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And then when it rose against me, animal didn't like him taking it away, taking that lamb away. When the animal rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. <laughs> Can you picture that? Yeah, so David's saying, you don't think I've got any warfare experience, but let me ask you, have you ever fought a lion and a bear? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't think so. Not that close anyway. You probably tried to keep your distance. But he said, I grabbed him by the beard if I had to and killed him. Whoa. Yeah, you don't want to mess with this guy. He's pretty tough. He may look small, but don't be fooled. It says in verse 36, your servant, again, your servant, has killed both lion and bear. <laughs> and that's God's preparation in David's life to prepare him for Goliath. So the Lord prepares us, you know? It's very interesting and David here has a lot of faith in the Lord. 
And where'd that come from? It came from the testimonies God put in his life in the past. Man, we need to be reminded of that stuff, don't we? I know if you've been walking with the Lord for any amount of time, you've noticed that God's got your back. There are things the Lord has done that cannot be explained other than the Lord stepped in and did this, and he gets all glory and credit for that, right? Yeah, so the Lord prepares us. He's been preparing us. He's putting testimonies in our life. We just need to remember what's happened. And maybe that's why the Lord used this incident in in David's life, to remind him, because he came right back. Wait a minute, I think I got some experience. (laughs) I've killed some pretty wild animals. And then he goes on in verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. And it's interesting how David looked at this, I think, because he's thought, well, that lion and that bear, they came to steal something that didn't belong to them, and I had to go after them, which I think is really cool if you you think about what David said there. He didn't say when the lion or bear came, I I defended the flock. He said he went after them. (laughs) That means they already got the animal, and David's like, you ain't taking that. Instead of saying, oh, man, I hope they don't come and take the rest of my sheep, you know, which is what every one of the army guys in Israel would have done at this point. Please don't take the rest of them. (laughs) David said, I'm going after them. So he's upset. This guy has defied the armies of the living God, and that's all that's running through David's mind. This can't go on. It cannot go on. Got to do something here. And his faith is in the Lord. Verse 37, moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. And both of those are extremely deadly, okay? He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. (laughs) I'm not afraid of this guy's paws either, he said. But you think about this. David has been trained by God to trust in the Lord. That's the reason for God training us, that we would learn to trust him. I don't know if you guys have, have... seen this, I'm, I'm hoping you have. When you're talking to somebody, and they're a Christian, they've, they've let you know they're a Christian, you know they're a Christian, and they're going through some issues and problems and stuff, and you're listening to what they're saying, I hope the thought runs through your head to just say, trust the Lord. You'll be amazed what the Lord can do. I mean, I hope the Lord has done enough in your life to have that thought just really pounding in you that, I gotta tell you, you really need to trust the Lord. And I know somebody who maybe hasn't stepped out and and done that before, it sounds kind of strange and kind of scary and kind of iffy. But for those of us who know the Lord, and we've seen the Lord come through, you know, we have that testimony, we need to just tell them, you need to trust the Lord. And that's probably why, I'm not saying for sure, I don't know, but that could be why they're going through those circumstances, because God's trying to say, trust me, trust me. Don't lean on your own devices, don't try all this other stuff. Come to me, trust me. I want to show you how strong I am, how powerful I am, how much I love you. Yeah. So it goes on. He says, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, wait a minute. Is this the same king that said, you can't do this? (laughs) And now he's saying, go ahead, man. God be with you. What just happened? Faith is contagious. That's why we need to tell people, trust the Lord, because faith is contagious. You know, when somebody sees you and they see that sparkle in your eye and thinking, this guy knows what he's talking about. When he says, trust the Lord, kind of sounds like he's been there, you know? And that, that, that pumps people up, and we need to do that. Somebody said, you know, we don't need to keep our, our testimonies inside our four little walls. We need to take them everywhere, and we do. 
Because, I mean, there are things that may happen to you this day, this week, where someone's going to come across your path, a Christian, and they're going to they're be scared, they're going to be afraid, they got some giant or something in their life, and the Lord's calling you, tell them, trust me. Let me turn you to the Lord. You need to trust him. I can't do this much. God can do amazing stuff. Trust him. So it goes on to verse uh, 38 there. So Saul clothed David with his armor, tried to help him out. He put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. And David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. And he had not tested him. And David said to Saul, I can't walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. You know, somebody said, we can't wear somebody else's armor. We can't do that. <laughs> We've got to go with what God has given us. We've got to trust in that. And you think about this. I was talking to somebody about this one time, and we were talking about we've got to have God's armor. We've got to put the armor on. And they right away thought, well, wait a minute. David took the armor off. But you know what? David took off the world's armor. He put on God's armor. Faith is what we need. That's part of the armor of God, Right? David had a lot of that stuff, right? So, yeah, we need to put on God's armor. We don't need the world's armor. And Saul, at this point, the spirit had left him. All he's leaning on is Saul, and that's not much. So all he's got is the world. We get a picture here of the world saying, okay, 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 I see you've got to serve your God, but here's how you need to do it. We say, no, I take my marching orders from the Lord himself. I, I don't need your psychology or psychiatry or whatever you're going to try to tell me here, I'm going to listen to my Lord. He knows a lot more. So verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And I know you've heard this. Some people have tried to criticize David and said, why did he take five? Do you think he was going to miss the first time or what? You know, But we do read later on that uh, Goliath had four brothers. <laughs> so I think David was like, we're going to get him in larger here. I'll start with Goliath and work my way down. But interesting, he took five, and he was ready to go. And he drew near the Philistine. Yeah, no fear in this guy. Verse 21, so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about, so he gets close enough, and he saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. It's like, this is some little guy, some kid. What are you sending this guy here for? So the Philistines said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because he had his staff in his hand. He's a shepherd, right? He knows how to use that staff too. Don't get too close. He said, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. I bet that made David afraid. Like, you're dead gods and you're going to try to use that against me? I don't think so. So it says in verse 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So he's trying to scare David. This is a psychological warfare. It doesn't work on David. He hears a louder voice. <laughs> so he's saying, I'm going to give your flesh. One guy, okay? Verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He's saying, you came against God. Wow. And you know, the, the foolishness when people try to come against Christianity, they're really coming against God. They don't know that, but that's what they're doing. God hears and God is ready for that, okay? 
Uh, verse 46, this day, he said, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. David didn't say, I'm going to beat you, man. He said, the Lord is going to deliver you into my hand. He knows what's going on. He's trusting God to do that. Somebody made this statement, and it, was, it struck me very powerful, and I hope it does you too. It's one of those, it's a kind of a piercing thing, but on this verse, when he said, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, the power of God, this guy said, where is the power of God in the church today? People should say, I want to be part of this, or I want to kill it. I thought, well, that's a good statement. <laughs> they see stuff going on in the church they can't answer, they're uncomfortable with, they don't like, or it says, wow, that's so amazing, I want to be part of that. Or I want to get rid of it because it's bothering me. I'm so convicted. I don't want it. I thought, wow, good statement, good statement. So he said, I will, uh, David goes on, said, God's going to deliver you my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. <laughs> and this day, notice he's not stopping there. I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines. Goliath, the big man's going to take one guy out and feed his car- carcass to the, to, the, uh, to the birds. David said, I'm coming for you, and then I'm going to go to the camp and take the rest of them too. Wow. Mercy's sakes. He knows how big his God is, doesn't he? And this day I'll give the carcass of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field. And here's the reason, not for my glory, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Wow. That day's coming again, do you know? <laughs> the whole world's going to know there's a God in Israel. That day is coming. Yeah, uh, the world tries to, to shy away from that, but we know the end of the story. Read the whole book, okay? Verse 47, then all this assembly shall know, he said, everybody standing here is going to know this too, that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, don't need your weapons made by man, for the battle is the Lord's, he's taking this one, and he will give you into our hands. David said, God's got a gift for us today, it's you, <laughs> And he's going to give you all into our hands. You guys don't stand a chance. Wow, amazing. Verse 48, so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and he ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And notice he ran toward the army. I'm amazed at that little note the Lord puts there. Because see, Goliath is coming, but there's an army behind him. (laughs) And David's running toward all of them. He isn't just worried about this guy. I'm going to take them all out. So he runs to him. Then David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Now at this point, him falling forward on his face, I mean, you'd look at that and, you th- and from a distance or so, they're probably thinking maybe he tripped or something. Don't know what happened there. But all of a sudden, he's on the ground, big guy. It'll take him a minute to get up. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. So again, those guys are wondering, what just happened? He doesn't even have a sword. You know, why is our guy on the ground? Therefore, David ran, still running here, and he stood over the Philistine, took his sword. So he took Goliath's huge sword here. He drew it out of its sheath, and it killed him, and cut off his head. I like what some people said. Some things in life we just have to cut off. <laughs> they just got to go. <laughs> you can't play with them. You couldn't say, come on, let's, let's spar a little bit, Goliath. No. 
His head needed to come off, <laughs> and it did. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I see it interesting, too, if you notice this as you're kind of picturing this in your mind. That little armor bearer was in front of him, which is not a little armor bearer. Those guys are soldiers and warriors, too. He's not here. I think when Goliath started to fall, that guy's like, I am out of here. <laughs> we don't see him anywhere in sight. So you'd think maybe he would stand up saying, I'll take him on. But no, he's, he's not anywhere in the story. So I think he kind of vanished at that point. But notice what happened to the Philistines. When their guy fell, they took off running. That's not the deal. Uh, back in verse 9, what did, what did uh, Goliath come up with here? He said, uh, you know, when, if you, your guy defeats me, then we will be your servants. That's not the deal. And the thing is, the flesh always lies to us. The enemy always lies. When he tries to make a deal, don't trust him. He's lying to you. Don't you feel sorry? There's a lot of people who fall for the lies of the enemy. And a lot of people thinking, I'll get into drugs. It's going to help me out. It's going to make me feel better. My buddy told me I'll make me feel better. Stuff. Those are all lies from the enemy. You know, if you want help, if you want truth, come to God. Come to his word. That's where you find the real help, the real strength, the real power. Look at David. He knew that. You just don't go around beating up giants. God does it if you submit to him. Okay? So it goes on then. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah, what did they do? It says they arose. Somebody said, were these guys sitting down watching the show here? I mean, seriously, if you're ready to battle, you're not sitting around, right? I mean, you're not, well, let's see what happens here with this guy. They weren't even ready to fight. How much faith do these guys have? Itty bitty if you can find it at all, right? Wow. So the men of Israel and Judah arose and they shouted, now they're excited, and they pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley to the gates of Ekron, and the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. So David's not the only one running at this point. They're chasing these guys like crazy. Uh, then the children of Israel returned uh, from chasing this, the Philistines and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he, he put his armor in his tent. So David's got this trophy, carrying this guy's head, you know. It's like, and he's not, I don't believe David's doing this for show. It's like, guys, here's the bad guy, here's the bad guy. You don't have to worry about him. You know, he's done, so don't be afraid anymore. I, I think he's using it for encouragement. Verse 45, when Saul saw David going against, against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. David wasn't known at that point to this guy. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. He said, I need to find this out. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Phil Phil excuse me, Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. He's still holding on to that, that thing there. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Now, Saul needed to know this because right now Jesse's going to be tax-free for the rest of his days, right? So he needed to know who the dad was for that reason, but I'm sure he was wondering, who raises a guy like this? You know? Yeah. Now, think about this. King Saul offered all of those incentives, you know, but that's not why David fought Goliath. He fought it because it was the right thing to do. David stood up for the things of the Lord. And when it comes down to it, we don't need anything this world has to offer, you know? We have a rich inheritance from the Lord in the next life. 
and that's an eternal reward. As a matter of fact, the Lord himself is our reward, the scriptures say. Being with God is, a re- is the greatest reward we'll have. And we get to be with him forever and ever. Now, just a couple more thoughts from our study here. We're gonna face giants in our life, and they're enough to cause us to fear. But when we get really far down, remember, it's not about us, it's about the Lord, okay? David wasn't looking at Goliath. He was looking at the greatness of his God, the God of Israel. And that's why we always gotta keep looking back to Jesus, keep our eyes on him, okay? The enemy's trying to distract us. And one more thing here, David looked at his situation through the perspective of God. And it's okay to do that, you know? Uh, The Lord is interested in every area of our life. And I don't know about you, but I'm encouraged by those Christians that do this. They're, they're always talking about the Lord here, the Lord there, the Lord did this, I did this day, I prayed this. You know, I love being around those people because they're looking at life from God's perspective. And you know what? People might say, you're a fanatic, man. Why do you always talk like that? I hope we're a fanatic for the Lord Jesus Christ, you know? I mean, we know people that are fanatics about their baseball teams or football teams, and we're okay with that. We kind of tolerate it and put up with it and all that stuff. We need to be fanatics about our Lord every day, every moment. We're gonna be that way for all eternity, right? So, uh, so let's, let's be that way for the Lord now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story that you have spread so far and so wide, and Lord, I just pray today that you would renew our hearts. Help us to see that our enemy may sound ferocious, but he's nothing in your eyes. And he's got nothing to stand on, Lord. But praise you, Lord, you have allowed us to stand on your word. You've given us truth, and you've allowed us to be your children. You've given us yourself, Lord, and we thank you for that. Help us not to to back down from the battle, Lord. Help us not to sit down and watch the circus go on, Lord, but help us to be ready and prepared for battle, even today, Lord. We thank you that you are stronger than any enemy that comes against us, and we we just rejoice to know you and give you the praise. Thank you for the encouragement you give us from your word today. All glory, honor, and praise goes to you in Jesus' name, amen. How do you know if you're going to heaven? You know, Jesus died for our sins. He paid for them completely on the cross. And God raised him from the dead to prove that his sacrifice was acceptable for you and me. How do you know if you're going to heaven? That, dear, are you bringing the right sacrifice? Are you bringing Jesus? You know, if you receive Jesus Christ in your life, you've trusted him, the Bible says you are saved. Your sins have been washed away, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And we just praise the Lord and, and thank the Lord for that. And you know, as believers today, the Lord tells us to stand against the enemy and, and he's the one who has to flee. We submit to the Lord, we stand up to him and we just speak the truth and uh, he's the one who leaves, not us. So uh, be encouraged. Yeah, the Lord loves you, he's been watching over you. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your word of truth. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would just fill us with your spirit as we leave and uh, get us ready for the battle, Lord. Help us to be prepared to speak the truth in love. And then we give you the praise and thanks for all you're doing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, bless you guys. Have a great week with Jesus.